Welcome to Enterprising Mindsets. My name is Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Young Enterprise. Each week we'll be exploring different people's perspectives on an enterprising mindset. My guest today is Claire Velotti. Claire is the Vice President of the international business Snap Inc., perhaps known better by parents of teenagers as Snapchat. As the VP of International, Claire is leading growth and revenue across four continents, including key markets UK, France, Germany, Nordics and Netherlands, Canada, Australia and MENA. Prior to joining Snap in 2016, Claire was the Director of Agency Partnerships at Facebook UK, Media Director at Weave and Managing Director of Weave's predecessor, U2 Media. Claire began her career agency side, spending more than 11 years at Mindshare across world-class brands. Welcome to Enterprising Mindsets, Claire. Hello, thank you for having me. So we're going to go jump straight into it. Who are your early influences and why was that? It's really, for me, always an easy answer to questions like this. Um, my mum and dad, my parents have played such a strong role in my life and really influenced me today and particularly how I operate in business. And I would say I, I had a head start and I always talk about this because my parents have their own business um, and I grew up in it. It's a hotel. So I grew up and seeing it being role modelled to me in terms of the way they worked, um, their thinking, the, just the way they ran a business. It was very easy in terms of like why it influenced me because I lived it, I saw it and that became my norm. But yet when I went into the more corporate world, I took a lot of those values and way of thinking into my role, even though it wasn't my own business. So those early influences clearly taught you about the value of work. What else did those early influences bring you? It's one word that I think gets overused very much in industry today is being authentic. And I find it fascinating because my parents were just truly authentic and just themselves but they never realised they were being authentic. It wasn't a buzzword. It was just who they are and how they operated. And and what I mean by that is there was no, um, it's our business and we hire staff. It was very much, you know, everyone's treated equally, um, being kind in how they operated and never trying to pretend something they're not. And that was very something that's always stayed with me about really staying true to who you are and being authentic to yourself and to your values. And that's something you just saw them do day in and day out. And I think the other piece is they're brave. They were risk takers, you know, that my parents expanded their business even when times were tough. They they made sacrifices and I saw it firsthand, the stresses that caused. And, you know, the reality is you will never listen or hear a, a successful business person talk without them talking about, you know, having tough times and overcoming challenges. Um, that's what you have to, to, to do to be successful. That's that's really powerful, isn't it? The power of power of knowing your own voice, of having an authentic voice. And it's interesting, um, your role right now, your international VP for, for Snap Inc., just looking at social social media, um, it's become such an important way of communicating and, of guess, of promoting your personal brand. People always want to put their best image, their best self forward. A lot of young people might look at that and aspire to something that's not necessarily a real image. And I think we've all got a responsibility here to address that. Uh, you talk about authenticity. Well, what do you think we can all do to address this, this, I guess, rise of a culture which is about presenting a personal brand, which might not all, always be reality? If it's OK with you, I just always like to correct uh, and be clear that from a, a Snapchat point of view, we don't see ourselves as social media. And actually, when Evan and Bobby founded the company, it was really to be an antidote to social media because they started to see that sort of pressure of people putting themselves under to, to curate that version of their life. And so we really want to be a platform where it's really about communication with your real friends. 
So when I think about then um, the challenges that you do have in social media yeah. and partly why Evan and Bobby were so adamant we wanted to build something different. And Evan and the, Bobby are the founders. Sorry, that's them. <laughs> they are the founders. Yeah. Um, they felt very strongly that people, like we need to find environments where people can feel to be their authentic selves and therefore have a kind of authentic voice. So when I talk to people about social media in general and thinking about what, how you interact and engage with social media platforms, it's really important to always stay true to who you are and be authentic to yourself. Clearly, if you are seeing things that feel like actually it looks perfect, we all know life isn't perfect for anyone. But what I always say to people, learn from that. Ask yourselves, why are they presenting that image? And I always think it's about going deep into essentially the psyche of for human beings and, and learn from it. And actually, I always think you can learn from every experience and figure out maybe that's an example of what you don't want to be or what you don't want to do. But absolutely take the learnings when you're in those environments. Don't take things for face value. You talk there about using that opportunity to learn. I'm just thinking about enterprising mindsets. Do you think that we're born with them or do you think they're nurtured by our surroundings and our influences? Such an uh, important and powerful question to think about. Um, and now I'm a mum of three daughters. It does make you think, you think a lot about this. So if I talk, think about my personal experience, and um, I just take example of one of my daughters, it's really interesting from an early on, she had a very competitive mindset to the point her first report at school, and this is like she was at nursery at this point, was she's a really sore loser, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. But that's just built in her to, deter to be determined to win. Now, do I think um, that's nurture or nature? I think there is an element of nature. That is her character. However, do I believe you can be nurtured to have more of an enterprise mindset or any sort of mindset? Absolutely. I think it has to come um, a blend of both. And for some people, one might over index than the other. It might be more nurture. It might be more nature. Um, so I think um, it's hard to say it's one or the other. But I definitely think the two play a part. You can't, I mean, my eldest daughter isn't competitive. She is just happy go lucky. And I'm not going to change it. I shouldn't change that because she's a very happy individual. But do I need to kind of nurture her to, to want to sort of push herself a little bit further? Absolutely. So I think you've got to just look for balance like in all things in life. And do you think there's a role for technology in supporting young people to, to develop that enterprising mindset, particularly, I guess, within the current COVID environment? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously you just have to look at the recent news. There's been a lot of concern for the kind of younger, younger groups coming through in a COVID world. Um, I'm actually really optimistic and I actually think this for me is a really pivotal point for us to embrace the fact that young people do tend to naturally embody digital skills, embrace technology. It's just part of who they are because they've, they've only known life with it. And so I absolutely think technology for them will absolutely help enable um, the enterprising mindset. And what I mean by that is... I think we often talk about this sort of technology or digital, whatever the terms we, we talk about, are often sort of in silo, like it's a, a thing. I feel really strongly that it has, it's part of a way of thinking, a behaviour. You know, if I'd even take it back to kind of school and, and the education, the curriculum, it's about doing, you know, what you're probably currently doing if you're doing a math lesson. But how do you integrate, you know, coding um, algorithms to solve problems? So I feel really optimistic. And I, there's one stat that I think is incredibly powerful. Accenture did a piece of research and it was about, I think about two years ago, 2018, they did it. And they said that we could add, you know, 141 
billion pounds to the economy over the next 10 years if we can close this gap in terms of digital skills because we know there is a gap so actually i think technology is going to be really key in supporting young people to have an enterprise mindset but more importantly even that to go into action and make impact and how do you think we can ensure that we don't have young people who are are left behind in terms of those technological developments those young people at risk of, of digital poverty it has to start early I mean, and this is something I feel incredibly passionate about. And I think that's why I was devastated when you saw the, what happened with A-levels. I think it's really important that early on that every child has access to uh, a digital type. I say type because it, it could vary, but of education. It has to start early because if we start to then think about uh, technology um, as you get older, then it's too late. You, you start to look at smaller pools. You have to start it early. And I feel really, like I, I've said, I think it's really, really important that we think about the education our, our children get early on to make digital feel like just seamless and an integrated part of how they learn. Because like I said, it's, it's a way of thinking. And that's the difference. Like it's not just about I've signed up for a computer class. It's about how do I solve things? How do I build things? Like, and thinking not just in a traditional sense, but thinking about how technology can be such an enabler for all backgrounds, for, for everyone. Yeah, I was listening to you then and I was, it was coming, that was the word that was coming into my mind, technology as an enabler. And I actually share that view. I mean, my, my background is youth work. And I often think that this very moment is a fantastic opportunity for the education sectors, both informal for youth work, youth work yeah. sector, community-based settings, and for more, for more formal education schools to come together because young people could be doing this learning if they haven't got the assets at home. They could be doing that learning in the community centres. They could be doing it in youth clubs. So um, I, I absolutely agree on that. Do you do you feel that Snap Inc could do as a, as a youth brand of, of huge influence? Do you, do you see that? role developing and supporting young people develop that mindset? Yeah, an example of, you know, one area that we're very well known for where we continue to lead in terms of innovation is augmented reality. And actually what's interesting, when you are actually building what I'd kind of describe as an ecosystem, it's a new behaviour essentially, and we're leading, you've actually got to invest in that ecosystem and give people access for it to flourish. So we've done quite a lot of work uh, with a Lens Creator programme that we've built that gives access to uh, creators and allowing them to be able to get more skills to kind of build more AR. I think we've done it across 35 countries. They've got 170 odd people enlisted in the programme. So I think it's absolutely, I think what you have to be clear as a company, you can't do everything. And you have to think about where can you make the most impact. And again, and stay authentic to yourself. And you're absolutely right, Sharon, that we are very much proud um, to have, you know, when I think about our stats, reach 80% of 13 to 24 years in the UK. So we absolutely have a responsibility to support um, that. Did you say, that, how many percent did you say? 80% wow, of 13 that's to 24. Yeah. And we absolutely have a responsibility to support that group. But we have to figure out, you know, where we can really add that value. And that's very much what we're focused on doing. So I'm just thinking of you, you're extremely successful female business leader. So I'm going to talk, ask you a couple of questions about your own experience of, of an enterprising mindset, if I may. And I guess my first question is, is, what does that mean to you personally? The word that always comes back to me is relentless. And anyone who knows me, actually, my sister was talking to me earlier, saying you're too you're trying you're too relentless in everything you do. <laughs> that the point I actually put too much pressure on myself, but that's a fact. If you listen to most people that have succeeded to you know in whatever they're doing, you have to be relentless, and I think that's really important. 
as you probably heard already, I feel very passionate at this, this work ethic. I think nothing comes without hard work. I just, and it's a value that's sort of built into me, uh, as I mentioned, uh, based on probably my upbringing. I think it's people that turn challenges or barriers into solutions and opportunities. And I know those things get spoken about a lot, but people who genuinely don't have victim mentality that don't go, oh, that's really rubbish because this person's done that, or it's very much, that's been a challenge and this is how I'm going to get past it. And I think the other two words that I think about when I think about enterprising mindset would be self-starter. People who wait for things to come to them, it's never going to happen. And the last one would be resilient because there's always going to be people that knock your confidence or put you down. And that is life. You have to be okay with that. And that's something, if I'm being honest, for the sake of people listening, that's something I still struggle with. Tell us a little bit more about that. I think a lot of people in senior roles, that feeling of um, wanting to be liked. And I think you've got to be okay with being respected and you can't always be liked in some of the decisions you make. And you have to be okay with that. But that's sometimes hard because I pride myself on what I believe is being a kind person and good to others. But in business, you sometimes have to make tough decisions that aren't popular. And that's hard because you question yourself, you question your integrity. Um, but equally, you've got to to drive business performance. And those two can sometimes be intention. I'm interested to understand how you keep yourself safe. How do you maintain that mindset when you're out there, you're doing something that's really hard, it feels hard, it feels like you're on your own, but it also feels like the right thing to do. How do you maintain that mindset? Yeah, and I would actually say for me, that mindset, to maintain that mindset, it's not even just my business mindset, it's my whole life. Because I think as you get further up in business, a lot of the time, not always, that comes with you at that point you may have built had a grown a family like just life gets more complicated <laughs> um so i talk a lot about your inner circle the importance of an inner circle so for me i've got certain people in, in my company that i would go to as genuinely trusted allies that i could tell anything to and it, it's trusted you know um and over the years you build that inner circle up so i've got other people outside of my company that I could talk to about, oh, it's hard being a working mum and running this and, and they're in similar situations. And then you've got my example. I talked about my sister um, today. I was having I was just stressed about some things around the children. And it was my sister that was there for me to sort of put some balance back in. So I, I call it this inner circle. But it's really important that you've got an inner circle that can sort of rebuild you when you have those moments. And um I probably feel like it's unfair if I don't mention this person as well. You know, I'm lucky I've got a husband that equally has demanding jobs. So having someone there day to day as well, that is always, I kind of say my cheerleader, you know, yeah. like, and I think that's really important. You've got to have this inner circle of cheerleaders. And they might always agree with what you do, but they're there for you ir irrespective. I would actually say it's important they don't always agree yeah. with you because otherwise, um, let's be honest, we're never always right. And yeah. people telling you that um, is pretty important. And so I'm um, just thinking about, you know, young people listening to this, setting setting out, beginning to think about um, making their way in the world. The importance of building that inner circle, you know, not everybody's got someone at home that's able to do that. You know, what would your advice be about creating your own inner circle if you're starting from, from scratch? It's not always about having the obvious people. So it doesn't mean you need to have people that know your business, for instance. Or I think it's important to have people that know all aspects of you having a couple of key people from my company because they know the dynamics in the company. So if there's a challenging day, you've got a tough decision, they, they understand what you're talking about. But equally, having someone um, like my husband who knows me inside out would say, 
you always think the worst. It's always worst case scenario with you. And well, so if you if you think when it, if it's, whether it's business or personal, uh, but even in business, it business is personal. And um, having someone that doesn't just know the work, Claire, but also knows Claire inside, it's really important. Like he will say, I'm sure that that's that session or that meeting went well. You, of course, have said you've picked all the, the stuff that didn't go right. <laughs> so I think think about the people around you in your lives. They don't need to understand even what you do for a living. You just need people. You might not need someone just to build you up. Like my father will always say to me, you've made us proud of whatever you do. So even if I really felt like I'd had a disaster, I know I could talk to him, even though he doesn't really know my job inside out and what I do. He picks me up when I need to go and someone says, you know what, it doesn't matter any of this. You make us proud. So I'm just looking at your career and your extremely successful business business leader. Do you think there are any considerations for female leaders that there, are, there aren't perhaps for men? I often think about this because obviously I get asked this question quite a lot. And I often say for myself, I think being a female leader only became more in my awareness when I became a mum. And that's a very personal thing. And that reason for it was I was always quite, I would say, brave and direct. So a lot of times you talk about, you know, women feeling like they just sort of don't feel confident to speak up. That was never a challenge for me. It's just my nature of being direct. And I probably don't have that much fear. I just feel like life's too short. Speak your mind in a very, obviously, practical way, in a a constructive way. Um, But I've never had that challenge. Um, But one thing that I think is true with a lot of females, um, and I'm generalising because this is obviously in men as well, but in women you hear a lot more about imposter syndrome, that self-doubt, that questioning of yourself. Um, And I think that's something that I definitely think is something we need to be more aware of female leaders if they have got that, and male leaders, just being aware of it, knowing it's there. And I've done, um, I trained as an NLP practitioner I've done a lot of business coaching and it's interesting it's for me it's very present but being so aware of those triggers of when it appears because it slows you down Um, and then the other one I touched on being a mum but there is this mum guilt and I know even if you're not a mum it could be guilt on other areas of not being a good enough daughter or whatever it might be and I'm not saying again men of course suffer with all of these things but in my managing of women, I've seen it more pronounced. And in imposter syndrome, if, if we've got young women who's listening to this uh, and interested, just explain what an imposter syndrome is. If, well, a good way to describe that, actually, is when some of the coaching I've had, I remember my business coach asked me to name it and she named hers. It, she was talking about naming the, naming it her doubting Deirdre. Don't ask me why we called it that. But it was about thinking about, you know, when you put yourself forward for something, maybe it could be in a meeting, go, I'll take on and you start to think oh my goodness I can't do it why am I doing that or going for a promotion you get the promotion and it's I can't believe they've given it to me I wasn't you know do they not realize I can't do the job and it's all of those self-doubts that kick in now what people need to realize and I've learned this along the way actually the doubting in you can be one of your biggest strengths because it probably what drives you to do really well in your job because you want to prove that you can do things and you work extra hard because you've got that you know that those concerns about yourself However, if you let it go too far, it can limit you. So you don't put yourself forward for that promotion or you don't speak up because you think people aren't going to listen to what you have to say. So I think you have to turn your doubting Deirdre into confident. I don't know. But, you know, it's like you need to it needs to be turned into actually. Actually, I know doubting Deirdre's started to talk to me. That's okay, But I'm going to put her aside. And now actually I realize she's wrong. 
and I can do that and I think use that to drive you forward and that's really important that you recognize that and so it's really catching that self-talk 100% and we all I think men and women all have it but I definitely like I said have seen it in more of the women I've managed over the years and for young women listening today uh, and the thought of being a CEO or leading a business is just just not even accessible as a concept never mind a possibility you know what made you believe it was possible and what can we learn from that in supporting young women to be able to overcome some of those um, imposter syndrome thoughts that you've just talked about I don't know if this has helped the listeners or not, but I never believed it. People believed it for me. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is one of my first big leadership roles was I got the job of managing director of O2 Media. And I remember the um, head of HR at the time, amazing, amazing woman. But in my interview said, what's your biggest fear? And I said, "I, I can't do this job. And she laughed and said, the fact you're saying that gives me so much confidence that you can. And equally, when Snap believed in me from running Northern Europe to then taking on our international business, I actually remember saying to my boss at the time, do you think I can do this? So let's be clear. I I don't think some people may. It may be a switch that goes off that they go, oh, I've got this. The way I've always been is I've definitely always needed people to to believe in me, to help me go for things. When people believe in me, I, I feel like my possibilities are endless, but I'm certainly... I would say I'm a confident leader in role, but I need to know the people around me really believe I can do it. And that that hasn't ever gone away for me. Just you describing that really supportive head of HR who said just the thought that you (laughs) asked me that question makes me believe that you can do this. It reminds me of of, of some research that's took place where leaders tend to value those that ask for help and they believe that actually they can do these jobs these promotions etc because they've shown themselves to ask for help how do you feel about that whole um, asking for help do you feel that that's been important to you in your roles the one thing i've observed in really successful people and particularly founders they have a thirst for knowledge they are curious they're constantly learning the biggest thing that you have to do as a leader is build, you know, it's no different to a manager of, I don't want to use a football analogy, it's not my expertise, but a manager of a team, of any sports team. You're building a bench, you're building a team of people that play a different part. So the most important thing to know, actually, as a leader, of what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, and actually have those people around you that complement you. That's how you're successful. And, you know, you hear this phrase a lot in business, but not many people are brave to do it, hire people that are better than you. So I often have got people in my team who I manage that I think, wow, they're so much better at me. It's okay to say someone's better than you, but it doesn't mean they're better than you at everything. But really be aware of where you need help, either hire for it, ask for the help. But I think it shows confidence in your role to ask for help. I think people that don't ask, that for me shows actually um, an area of weakness that you're not self-aware enough and therefore you're not looking for a solution. Again, that comes about building that really strong team that you're aware of your strengths, you're aware of what you're not strong in, you're willing to bring in the strength of team. 100%. We also see, if you think about it, on a lot of um, startup businesses where the founder can often end up going into a different role over time. As the business scales, they may realise I'm an amazing founder at, at starting a business with an amazing vision, but my skill isn't operating that business at scale. Actually, I need to bring in someone to do that bit. And that's those businesses that that end up being very successful. Mm-hmm. I'm really struck by your resilience and your passion. You just feel, I can feel it in, in, in the conversation. You're so passionate. 
What do you do when you're scared? How do you maintain that mindset if something really scares you? Depends what you mean by scared. I think there's, because scared always sounds negative. Mm -hmm. So there's parts of my job or life that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, say that then. Yeah, and I think that's a great thing. hate every minute of it, but I know at the (laughs) end I'm going to love it. And I think that has been, I've been um, lucky, like I mentioned, I had some business coaching. I've done NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. It's a way of kind of supposed thinking um, and changing your behavior and visualization. And I've taught myself quite a lot of tips, actually. One being, you know, I always think about how's that uncomfortableness going to make me feel when I get through it. And usually I'm going to come out on a high because I have done something maybe I didn't feel confident at doing, but I, I nailed it. And you try and focus on that win, how you're going to feel with that win at the end, as opposed to thinking about all the fear of going into it. And I suppose the length of uncomfortableness might actually be quite a short time, like minutes, really. But the high could be quite significant. Oh, yeah, the adrenaline. I mean, I I do quite a few, um, you know, press interviews and it could be with like done live radio, TV. And I can't tell you that feeling before you go in. But I try again, stay focused of when it's done and like the impact. And and you also think about the impact that can have on your business and what a privilege that your company trusts you to do that. So I start to kind of get the rational thinking in. But Sharon, I'm not going to lie, that never goes away. And actually, I started to realise that feeling is what spurs you on to to do a good job. But that's again. That's great to hear for all of us, I guess, that, um, that it's, it's about working with it, not that it ever quite it goes disappear. away. That's good. That's good. Claire, tell me what three takeaways that you wish that someone had shared with you when you were younger. There's too much focus sometimes on what you need to work on. And I think now the environment, like in different companies and different sectors, I think people have started to embrace this strengths-based culture. So I wish someone, if I'd gone back, even the way all, all the way back at school where I wasn't the natural academic, you know, I did okay because I worked hard, um, but my skill was like I was really good at PE and I got a lot of confidence from being good at that. I wish someone had said to me, you know, think about what you're really good at a bit more as opposed to you really need to work on that, that you're not strong over here. Because I think that's really important if you think of successful founders and people that genuinely run businesses, they're quite positive in their thinking. And I think that's really important rather than just constantly sort of critiquing yourself. Mm. It's like follow your passion, really, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, and I think the two are interlinked. What you tend to be good at is your passion, isn't it? Like, that's the reality. Um, And then the second would be, I think it's a journey. And I think sometimes when you're younger, that moment in time you're doing a GCSE feels like the be and all end all. And of course it does. But don't lose sight. It's a moment in time and life is a journey. Um, And I think the third one would be, have fun life is short and sometimes you think when you're young oh my god it's so stressful it's like becoming an adult all the responsibility it gets more stressful and I think you have to enjoy those moments like enjoy life and 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 have fun doing even the times that are stressful don't lose sight how important it is to have fun and finally what's next what's next for Claire Velotti I think a little bit of being discontented I think I'm one of those people that I was always ambitious and always, you know, I wanted to have a family. I wanted this job. You know, and I've been very fortunate um, that a lot of it has come. And I think I probably don't take enough moments to think, you know, like, enjoy it. Like, I enjoyed, I love my job. Just enjoy it. Don't, don't worry about all the other stuff. Um, I would say I, I want to keep growing as a person, as a human being. And, um, and what I mean by that, I'm very lucky I'm in a job that, you know, one minute I'm talking about 
the UK, then I'm talking about Norway, then I'm talking about could be Saudi Arabia, then Australia. I'm constantly learning about not just business, but life and doing business in other countries and culture. And I want to keep learning. And I think the third is um, have more time for me. And I, I'd give this advice because life does get harder as you get older. There's more obligations, more de things that your de people depend on you for. And I have this phrase, a lot of people in my family laugh, say, be kind to Claire. But I think finding more time for me, because I have got three young kids and I've got a full on job. Again, love it all. But you've got to remember you are a human being and you have to invest in yourself as well to, to make sure that everything else works. Claire, thank you so much for your optimism, for your passion uh, and for joining us on Enterprising Mindsets. Thank you for having me. Enterprising Mindsets is part of a podcast series brought to you by Young Enterprise. To listen to more episodes, please find us through your usual podcast services.